and welcome to Abbey Archives, a Redwall reread featuring one pagan and one Christian going over the series to see what aged like fine strawberry wine and what's aged like milk. I'm Izzy, I use CCR pronouns. I'm Kit, I use she, her pronouns. You can find us and content for the podcast, including art and links to other Redwall-related things, at Abbey Archives on Twitter and Tumblr. Uh, just as a warning for people listening to this episode going forward, Kit is getting sick and I'm getting over being sick, so we might make noises that are just audio hell. And I'm very sorry for the amount of snuffling and throat clearing that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I'll do my best. I'll do my best to edit stuff. But again, I am still baby editor, so please be patient. So if there's sniffle snuffles and a few coughs, you've been forewarned. (laughs) I mean, usually there's snuffling in the audio anyway, because usually I'm I'm always congested in some way. (laughs) So you'll just hear me sniffle. And I mean, well, at least we're, we're kind of, we're thematic to the book. <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever it is that I've got, my, my dad likes to call it the creeping crud. It's something sinusy related. So we're not it's too It's probably worried. just like an upper respiratory infection. Yeah, whatever, whatever it is, like it's, I've got brain frog, brain frog. <laughs> you've got brain frog. I've got brain frog. And with that, uh, Today we're reading the second half of the second book of Salamandistron from chapters 21. Is it to 28? I thought it was 27 20, was the last one. I'm pretty sure it's 28. Yeah, it's 28. It is 28. It's 28. It is 28. Eight. You are correct. Yes. Thank yeah, you. from chapters 21 to 28. Thank you. Uh, content warnings are obviously death from various sources. Uh, illness, entrapment, siege warfare, poison, death by poison, mm-hmm. uh, deep water, so uh, thalassophobia, mm-hmm. uh, drowning, enclosed spaces, sanism, child endangerment again, Dumble is still here. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, there's no child death, it's just child endangerment. Technically, it's two children, because... Uh... Yeah, Rock Angus is implied to be like younger. Yeah, he's just like he's... a barely a year out of fled uh, fledging. Yeah, so, so he's like... like not even a teenager yet. He's a tween. Yeah, at the most. Uh, so speaking of Dumble, <laughs> we start off this bit with Thrug and Dumble waking up to a very drizzly morning. Thrug puts Dumble in the haversack, uh, like he just tucks him right on in, <laughs> flips the the uh uh the uh, flap of the haversack over his head to keep him dry, and then asks him to sing a song while they march. And Dumble sings the Dormouse song, the song about Dormice, and it's really cute. <laughs> Do you want to sing it or no? Yes, hang on, let me get it. I have my book right in my lap, but can you tell I was not ready? Okay. Let's see. Chapter. You have a better Dumble voice than I do. I do? Thank you. It's a good little Dumble voice. Okay. Hold on. No, hold on. Only now. Well, I had I, I have my bookmark at the wrong spot. My bookmark's at the end. Oh yeah, mine was too. Front where it needs to be. <laughs> uh, okay. There's no roof mouse nor chimney mouse, no window mouse or floor mouse. 
and I ain't got her knocker on me nose, but I'm a little dormouse. There's a field mouse and a harvest mouse, an edge mouse, and probably a shore mouse. Well, I'm the bestest of the lot, because I'm a little dormouse. Oh, ha, 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 and he, he, he. Yes, I'm a little dormouse. So I'll eat me dinner and grow big, and then I'll be a normouse. It's so <laughs> Truck cute. Me like, Thank you. <laughs> That's like you start literally start this chapter with that, and it's like, oh, like the, did this kid come up with this himself? Because if so, I kudos, so. sir. It's very good. That or it's something maybe his his mom sang to him or mm -hmm. something, and like he just remembers it. And mm -hmm. it's so cute. The the amount of times that Dibbins come up with like the cutest little songs is right. so good. Um, Thrug, after that song is finished, asks Dumble if he knows any about otters. Uh, and then, you know, we skip to around noon when the weather has cleared. Dumble is now, like, on the ground, walking along with Thrug, uh, just, you know, skip-hopping and being a small child. Uh, and they see an odd lump on the road ahead. And said lump tries to make its way to the side of the road... Uh, and Thrug tries to tell Dumble not to go near it, and Dumble is just like, mm, no. Don't touch that, you don't know where it's been. <laughs> it's like, you don't know where it's been, and Dumble's like, uh, it's a friend. Yes, friend. <laughs> Dumble gets, gets whatever it is to stop moving, and we learn that it is a fledgling falcon with a hurt right wing. And let me tell you, <laughs> I am so excited to read this accent. He's Scottish. Brace yourselves, everyone. The Americans are going to do a Scottish accent. I will have you know I am actually decent at a Scottish accent. I just don't know the pronunciations of all the words. <laughs> and I actually do technically have Scottish ancestry, but uh, it's a ways back there. <laughs> I also let's see so we get uh, <laughs> it's very good um <laughs> so it was a falcon a season fledged and of no great size the bird flopped about with its right wing hanging awkwardly as it struggled to seek shelter in the thinning woodlands at the path's east side Dumble cut off its escape and squatted in front of it holding out a friendly paw <laughs> He keeps doing this. This boy is like, I will make the entire world my friend, so help me. I love him. And he's like, oh, poor birdie, is your wing hurted? The falcon ha halted, its fierce golden eyes distending as it hissed a warning through its dangerous hooked beak. Uh, Kurtz, stand out my way, Baron, or I'll make a dead media. <laughs> the little dormouse chuckled, tossed a piece of candy chestnut in front of the savage creature. Dumble won't hurt you. Have some food. It's nice. And <laughs> Just, I, I, in the notes, I put a little frowny face at the candy chestnut bit, like, Brian, stop giving birds a prey. Freaking sugar! Never. Um, so, th this this happens. It just, the falcon spots Thrug as he arrives, uh, and in a heavy accent, asks if Dumble can't understand that he's a falcon, not a sparrow. And again, it's very good. <laughs> like, it's not the accent I expected because, like, it's a perfectly. <laughs> like, usually he gets some, like, a weird, like, almost Russian accent or something, like, not from the, the Isles. The last birds, the, the birds in the last book, I realized I thought they were Scottish. They were actually Irish. Mm hmm. 
these, these are this Scottish. Is, this is Scottish. Like the the words they use, the accent. This is Scottish. This is they're from Glasgow. This is Glaswegian. Hold your wish, the- River Dog. Hey, can I this be better not understand me? Does he not know he's in peril? I'm not a sparrow, you can. I'm a falcon. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> we're Americans. Oh. We're always easily charmed by a Scottish accent. <laughs> I just, God, if I could, I would just read this in, like, every chapter, like, out loud that's got Rock Angus in it. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I was gonna say, but I want to. Izzy, we can't. Izzy, don't. But I'm not gonna, but I want to. Thank you for your self-restraint. <laughs> so yeah, and the heavy accent asks if Dumble can't understand that he's a falcon, not a sparrow. And Thrug says, yep, I, he knows, but he'd better not be thinking of hurting Dumble, or Thrug will have to slay him with a sling. Dumble, of course, pays the two absolutely no mind. He just gives the falcon more chestnut bits. Uh, and... To the Falcon's credit, he's very gentle with Dumble. Uh, He warns Thrug that he wouldn't be able to hurt a fly with his wing broken like it is, but he'd still give it a good go. Uh, Thrug settles down with a meal for all three, and we learn the Falcon's name. His name is Rock Angus, only son son of MacTallan, Laird of the High Crags. And I don't know if, like, he's, if Brian's being a little cheeky here because, you know, like, the rock is a bird of legend. So I'm just like, did you literally name this guy Bird Angus? I think, I think he did do it on purpose. I think he did. I um, think unless, he did it on purpose. Unless rock, R-O-C, has a Scottish context we don't know. But to me, my brain immediately goes to the rock, the fictional mythical bird of, uh... Russian I mean, you could Google, you could Google it. I could have, but I already Googled a few words this chapter and I'm all Googled out. (laughs) (laughs) You Google it! (laughs) All right. (laughs) Give me a second. Jeez. (laughs) There's a race called The Rock. R-O-C. Hmm. There's Cold War, the Royal Observer Observer Corps. Uh, rockscots.org, which is a Scottish Heritage Society of the Rochester area. There's a rock lobster. So, no, it does not look like it. Uh, I think it is just a pun. Okay. <laughs> and of course, his father's name is McTallan. Uh... Rock Angus is from up north, and he'd been blown south by a fierce wind. When he'd finally settled to rest, about ten crows had just fucking mobbed him. Mm-hmm. Crows will just do that. They'll see a falcon and go, nope, don't want you here. Yeah. Thrug checks on his wing, sees that it's fractured, and offers to carry Rock Angus with him. They're going north anyway, might as well. And he's not enthused about this, but Dumble asks him to. And, you know, you can't say no to that face. Mm-mm. So that little baby face. Not little, when he little, asks... Little baby face. Not when he asks so politely. Yeah. Like, I know I so wasn't, like, like... I wasn't happy with Dumble tagging along at first, but, like, I definitely approve of it now that I have had a chance... Like, Brian has written it well. 
where Dumble is not being a hindrance, he is actively helping in, like, the ways a kid can. Yeah. Like, he he looks, uh, like, Rogangus is very much, like, not into this, he's like, Ah, you mean I'm stuck with two landbound dunderheads looking for the flowers of ice tour, and I cannot fly? And Dumble's just like, he strokes Rock Angus's back, and is like, come with us, Rock Angus. Mr. Thug's a good carrier, you know? Mm-hmm. It's so good and cute. It's very sweet. Uh, Thrug sets Rock Angus's wing, make sure, making sure to bind it carefully, and warning him not to move it, because the less that it moves, the quicker that the binding will set, and that it will heal. Uh... And then he asks if Rock Angus knows the way. Rock Angus admits that it's hard for a bird to know when they're stuck on the ground, but gives a general northeast direction for them to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, they start off, Dumble trotting beside Thrug, and a gently complaining Rock Angus clinging to the haversack. And like the minute Rock Angus joined the group, I'm like, okay, you know what? Now I'm actually looking forward to the parts with Dumble and Thrug. Like, I wasn't disliking them before, but now we've got, like, a good balance. And with this, Brian has managed to solve part of the problem. Rock Angus probably knows what the Flower of Isator is. so Or at least maybe not by that name, but yeah. knows, like, something that might be it. Yeah, so, like, now they can help each other. They get him home. And he helps them find the flower. It works out. Like, this is a really nice way to further this plot. And yeah, I don't remember the falcon at all, somehow. I guess you could Whatsoever. say... You could say it flew your mind. I'm killing and killing and biting you. <laughs> Attack a you. Kill a you with a rock. <laughs> Continuing on with these three, mid-afternoon sees the trio stopping to eat some fresh berries and pears that they found, uh, while stocking them into the haversack. The two younger critters enjoy sharing the berries, getting stained fur and beak alike. Mm-hmm. It's like they're, very they're, cute. They're, they're feeding very them to each other. They are. They they have quickly become friends. It's like Rock Angus is the older kid with the much younger kid, but is just very amused by the much younger kid. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, yeah, nah, this kid, this kid's cool. Yeah. I like this kid. Uh, when they continue on, Rock Angus warns them of a pine grove ahead. That is, of course, where the crows are. Thrug preps his sling, and they move at a slower arc around the grove. Uh, even Dumble does his best to keep quiet, until he steps on a thistle. Which, yeah, I don't blame- Which would make anybody yeah. scream. Yeah. Honestly. Like, we, we actually have thistles where I am now. Although we did have star thistle in California where I grew up. Thistles hurt. Thistles, they sure do. Yeah. They don't get around. Thistles and prickerbers. <laughs> uh, the crows rise in a black cloud from the pines, and Thrug makes a break for a stream-carved, like, gutter. It's basically just a dry stream bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rock Angus takes out one crow, and Thrug manages to take out two more with a sling and stone. His blood up, Thrug calls out his war cry, as do Dumble and Rock Angus. 
Uh, two crows go for them, and Dumble cracks one across the legs with a stick. Well, Rocket, like, Dumble picked up a stick, and is just beating the shit out of crows with it. Like, this kid is ready to go to town. Like, he's- Yeah, yeah. he's just- he's- he's just ready. This kid's gonna- this kid's a fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, two- of course, uh, two crows then almost take off with Dumble. They, like, grab him and start lifting him, and the thrug picks up the haversack and just- knocks them out of the air with it mm-hmm. uh the the little guy grumbles grabs his stick and pops right back up to bully the crows who tried to take him like he's beating them up like how dare you try to take me yeah pick me up drop me so rude uh they manage to drive the crows off uh while the crows hop and skip and mock them in the trees above i of course am yet again baffled by brian's choice to give the crows yellow beaks I, 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 because part of me wonders if he's like the, mixing no. them up with rooks somehow. Because well, rooks, remember kinda, we looked. Yeah. Remember we looked this up. There is a species of black bird in the UK that has a yellow beak, but it is not a corvid. No, it's 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 a very strange choice. And I still I, part of me wonders if he's just like mixing it up with like cartoon crows, which are often given yellow beaks for some reason. When did Dumbo come out? Hold on. I, I don't know. Well, it definitely came out before these books were written. I know that for sure. 1941. So, nope, that, yes, 1941. So maybe he's just thinking of the, the crows, the very racist crows maybe. from Dumbo. Maybe. It's Those just, crows are so racist. They're such racist caricatures. It's just, it's a very, it's, <gasps> it's a choice. It's a very it, odd it choice. It is a very odd choice. And, of course, also the crows speak in broken English because, uh, why would multiple, why would, why would they speak, like, uh, unbroken English, you know, like the falcons mm-hmm. and, you know, crows that we've seen in other books mm-hmm. who've spoken just fine English. What the fuck, Brian? <laughs> why? One of these days we're going to hold a seance just to have a good talk with him. Right? <laughs> summon his spirit uh the trio takes a small break at this uh thrug bandaging dumble's pecked paw because he got his paw pecked yeah by a pick a pick a pick of peppers i'm throwing you in the trash (laughs) more crows are coming in and rock angus warns them that it won't be easy crows are numerous and sure enough another wave of attackers wings towards them this is like a video game almost with the mm-hmm. way that like they're coming in waves. Mm-hmm. Um, they fight wickedly, uh, but sheer numbers start to overwhelm them. The sound of Dumble crying overwhelms Thrug and he goes into like a berserk otter rage. Like he starts tearing into them tooth and claw. Like he takes the haversack and just uses it as a bludgeon. Like he is dropping crows right and left. His, he's described as having blood-soaked teeth. Like he is destroying them. And Kit, you made a, a point that like we've only really seen this happen like once before, mm-hmm. and that was in Mossflower. Yeah, because uh, was the. Uh, otter whose uh, brother was killed because yeah. Mask died and so this otter like absolutely just destroys a, a weasel or something. I don't remember if he was a weasel or a rat. He, 
I, it was a rat, I think. Anyway, but yeah, because it's interesting because the otters are always said to be like, not vicious, but they enjoy fighting. They enjoy being, you know, strong. Rough and, and tumble. Rough. And, yeah. Yeah. But usually their fighting is, strangely enough, distance fighting, slings, javelins, stuff like that. J- javelins. Javelins. Um, javelin. Javelin. Um, I don't think that's French. No. Um, <laughs> escape. Um it says fragile. <laughs> Long story short, though, it is interesting that we do get to see something else have a berserker rage. And I'm pretty sure one of our later questions asks about that. But that's for the end. Yes. Um. So, yeah, that one was that it's like really neat that we get to see this happen. And like any book that the otters are in, like where they're much more main character focused because Throg at this point is more of a main character. Oh yeah, he's he's a side plot main character, but he's still one of the main characters in yeah. this book. And so like we get good shit with them when it comes to fighting when we have the otters as main characters. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Yeah. Uh So he he scoops up the two, gets them behind him and just kind of just just absolutely destroys crows with the haversack. Uh, broken and beaten, the crows flee. Come later afternoon to evening, the trio are taking care of each other's wounds. Out by the pine grove, the land is covered in crows, watching and waiting. Throg and Rock Angus know they don't have a hope to beat the birds, but they promise to go out fighting. Dumble asks for a little food, and Throg says, of course, he can have all he wants from the squashed mess inside of the abused haversack. Twilight beckons, and the crows begin to chant themselves into a fury to renew the fight. And, like, I did make the comment of, like, at this point, is it real? Are they really worth it? Like, if this is just to eat them? Or is it because they went into their territory? It's a pride thing at this point. I'm guessing that's what it must be, because, like, otherwise this doesn't make a lick of sense. Yeah. Or it's just being cruel for cruelty's sake. Yeah, which is how Brian likes to write. Like, whenever Brian writes, like, these mindless mobs that are just there to basically be a roadblock in the plot, they usually don't have reason. They're there to be a roadblock. They don't need to be people yep. or have a reason. So their their purpose is we, we are here to slow them down so the story doesn't end too quickly. Yep. So, now we find the Guosam and Mara and Pickle sailing under a crescent moon. Two logboats, packed with shrews, had left at dawn to head towards the lake of the ghost badger. Mara is drooping, and when she asks when they'll arrive, Nordo tells her it'll be about dawn. They're going downstream, tuck in the paddles, and get some rest. Pickle makes his usual quip about wanting food, and is offered a hardtack biscuit which was baked last season <laughs> which even he won't eat because you're not supposed to eat hardtack biscuits as is you're supposed to soak them in soup mm-hmm. or or just something with moisture so they're actually soft d- yeah, yeah edible uh he offers it to mara and she rejects it as well saying it'd be better safe to sling at the ghost badger put off his food altogether now pickle complains as mara drifts off to sleep and, I, and we learned a new word. Yes, chuntering. 
it must be like a what? very British word, but basically it means to complain quietly, to grumble, that kind of thing. <laughs> so like when you're chuntering, you're you're just grumbling like, oh man, I should have gotten better than this. Can't believe they're treating me this way. Mm, yeah. How could they? How could they do this to me? Dishonor, dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow. I've made my mistakes. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Mara wakes at dawn to find they're running down some mild rapids now. It's like they're moving quickly, going like up and down their shrews, keeping the the crafts from breaking against the banks uh, with the long paddles that they have. Uh, Pickle is, of course, motion sick. He's getting seasick. As they're moving, and his begging for the shrews to slow up or go easy earns him some teasing from the shrews. And on one hand, uh, I feel a little sympathy. Like, I, I definitely class motion sickness as, like, one of the worst feelings in the world, because, like... Oh, it sucks. Because there's nothing you can do about uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. But at the same time, I'm just like, yes, tease him. It, it's, tease funny. Him. it's funny. It's <laughs> funny. This is honestly kind of funny. Like, the, like they're <laughs> teasing him by suggesting, like, really bad food combinations, and just... Uh, picking on it like, um, try some cold custard and cabbage for breakfast, mate. Ha <laughs> ha. Or some warm oatmeal mixed with black treacle and carrots. How about a stale vegetable pasty with sour cream over it? Or pasty? Pasty. They say it pasty in England, right? Pasty. I believe so. Uh, how a stale vegetable a, a pasty, pasty, pasty is a different the... thing. Yeah, that goes over the nip knops. <laughs> um... <laughs> arrive on the large smooth watered lake like they basically almost nosedive into the water and a big like wave from the bow dipping under and popping back up gets everyone soaked distantly in the back of my mind i hear faintly the sound of zippity doodah also from a a racist movie (laughs) i'm so glad they're changing the overlay to princess and the bride that's gonna be so cool not princess and the bride damn it frog princess i could Yes. <laughs> I've got brain frog, okay? You have brain frog. Brain frog. You sure do. <laughs> <laughs> Mara ignores Pickle's belly aching to stare in amazement at the impossibly big lake. It may as well be an inland sea. All that she can see forward towards the horizon is a lake, and on the very edges is the coastline of of thick trees. Yeah, like and like not even in front of her, like it's implied that like it's off to the sides that she can just see the edges. Yeah. Like, like it is massive. Mm-hmm. This is a huge lake. They have breakfast in the boats and Logalog indicates the way to the island. 2 days rowing straight as an arrow. They take up the paddles after they finish eating and pu- and put two with a will. Mara is a little awkward at first, but picks up on it pretty quickly. Uh, the shrews have some fucking fantastic rowing songs, mm-hmm. which are just sea shanties. I mean, the, because yeah. they're, wor- they're working songs. That's what a sea shanty is. I, it's a working song. I think he even calls it a rowing shanty later. Yeah. But and so do you want to read it or do you want me to sure, read it? I'll read it. Okay. I'll sing you a song of the river. Oh, where the water's clean and clear. And the long fast go of some boats go, where shrews that know no fear. 
So bend your back and use those paws from gravel bank to sandy shores. Your cares and woes will disappear. Just sitting, paddling here. Goosome. Goosome. That's probably supposed to be meant to be yelled. Yeah, well, I'm not yelling it right now. <laughs> I'll sing you a song of the river, oh. It belongs to me and you. Or depths and shallows will both go with the finest Goosome crew. With the other creatures bound to land, will not feel half so free or grand. Or know the water shrews great skill, so paddle with goodwill. Goosome. Goosome. It's good mm -hmm. is the thing. Mm -hmm. There's another one that happens later on. Yeah. It's also really good. Uh, Pickle joins the shrews in their rowing songs. I don't think actually he joins in this first round. Oh, he sings with them, but he doesn't do the improv until later. Like, it does ah, say that okay. he's having fun singing them, but he he doesn't improv until later. Yeah. Okay. They stop around noon for food, and Pickle gets a little bit more teasing from Logalog when he asks about how deep the lake is. Um, it's, what is it specifically? Because it's very funny. <laughs> like, he starts in and Logalog's like, I'm not having this from you. <laughs> Uh, so he says, I say old Laga thing because Pickle can't say anybody's name correctly. And I swear to God, if the hares can't say Laga Lug's name correctly once, I will scream. How deep is this Bally Lake? Laga Lug smiled mischievously. Hmm. Let me see. It comes two thirds of the way up a boat or halfway up a duck. <laughs> oh, I see. Pickle nodded understandingly. Now hang on a bolly moment, old shrew. Who are you trying to fool? Nordo laughed. Water shrews always say that to landlubbers. Actually, no beast knows how deep this lake is, though my grandfather tried to plumb it when he was a logalog, -log, and he said it was bottomless. I love the, the halfway up a duck. <laughs> it is terrifying that this is bottomless like it rattles pickle and he starts to lose his nerve and um, like open water is terrifying like i'm i'm one of those people like i can't swim in water where i can't see the bottom because my imagination is just too active i don't like it i can't do it like we had a lake up above where i live that wasn't even that big and i still couldn't go too far out from shore because you couldn't see the bottom and it was just like eh -eh, nope no 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 so here's the thing about me. <laughs> I need everybody to know because it's going to contextualize how weird this is. I love the ocean. I do not have thalassophobia when it comes to the ocean. I think it's fantastic that I can't see the bottom. Okay. Freshwater lakes scare the shit out of me. It is a weird phobia. I, for some reason, freshwater lakes scare me way more than the ocean does. I think because, like, depending on the lake, they don't really move like the ocean does. Like, the ocean is alive. But when you get a big freshwater lake that, like, there's no wind. Especially man-made ones. Yeah. Like, they're they're smooth. They're quiet. They're smooth. They're usually a lot murkier. Uh-huh. And, like, you don't know what, like... You don't know what's in them! Well, actually, I do know what's in um, Shaver Lake now, because they actually took advantage of, like, one of the droughts we had a few years back and drained the lake to do some maintenance on the dam, because it was a man-made lake. So they mm -hmm. drained it down, and because they drained it down, we could actually see some of the old logging 
buildings and all the stumps at the bottom of the lake. Like, it's a notorious lake for fishing because your line will get caught on an old stump. <laughs> um, so I do know... My thing is, yeah. I, I just always think about, like, uh, the Great Lakes, which are uh-huh. built on uh, limestone and shit like that. So they are full of caves and shit. And no one knows how deep they actually are because of that. No, the Great Lakes terrify me and you will never catch me out on them. The Great Lakes have their own tides and they will kill you. Mm -hmm. They hate people. They hate people. Whereas the ocean is just the ocean and doesn't actually care about us. And like, if I die, I die. Mm -hmm. Basically, freshwater lake, it's probably like they're scarier because they're more comprehensible, which somehow makes it worse. Yeah, I also have this weird, like, phobia of, uh, carp. Really? I think that there's a giant one that lives in the bottom of freshwater lakes, and that it will eat me. Uh, do not ask me why I think this. I know it is completely illogical, but every time I get in a freshwater lake, I will not leave the shore. Unless I'm in a boat. I'm in a boat. Because I hate it. So, okay, after Pickle learns this fun fact, uh, a large splash in the water does not help, and more shrews pick up on his nervous energy as more splashing occurs. Uh, Some of them start to say something, but Logalug stops them and tries to tell Mara and Pickle that it's just jumping fish, but then it begins to charge towards them. Uh... It almost pulls a Jonah on Mara and Pickle, while the others wail that it's Deep Coiler, and they're doomed. Uh, but Logalog gains control again, silencing his men. The silence saves them. Uh, a great fish sur- like briefly surfaces and then dives, just barely missing the bottom of the boats and scaring the life out of everyone. Like, my In- first thought was that, is this a sturgeon? Because, like... We do know that they have seen sturgeons, like, I didn't mention this in our notes, but they have actually seen sturgeons in the lochs before, like, up, like, further into Scotland. Like, they do occasionally get sturgeons in the lochs. And they are, like, large, primeval-looking fish. They are huge. But they don't have the same, like, the shape is wrong. Yeah, because, like, this one is definitely described as being longer. And I thought, is this just exaggeration? It's described as definitely being eel-like. Yeah. Uh... Like, Mara sees the- just misses the head of the thing as it disappears under the boats, but she, like, looks over and she sees the massive length as it streams by, covered in thick scales and, like, fins, and it's, like, dragging weeds and stuff with it. And it is massive, and we're both sitting here like, what the fuck is- I actually spent- 30 minutes doing research on fish native to the fresh waters of the UK mm-hmm. and coming up with nothing that would have that would look like this because nothing does. Yeah. Like the closest thing to it would be eel freshwater eels or lake lampreys. And the problem is freshwater eels have very small embedded scales so that they look almost scaleless. They, we also lampreys don't have scales at all. We, we can debate more about but, this later when we get to it, but this thing is not a sturgeon. But they both have, it's not they anything both have real. pointed tails. This is, they have pointed tails, which is yeah. another thing. This is the thing that's very important because it is pointed out that the tip of its pointed tail hits the bottom of the boat as it disappears back into the depths of the lakes. Hmm. Of the lake. Ladies and gentlemen, we have our first official dragon. It is a fucking dragon! This is not anything! 
This is not any animal. This is a dragon. Ah! It's so cool. Uh, Logalog, and it also scares the shit out of me. Um, you did also suggest a snake, and I'm like, what snake? <laughs> they don't have, yeah, I know, they've only got two snake species, and none of them are freshwater, but, uh. Yeah, none of them are water snakes. Uh, so Logalog explains what the deep coiler is. It was a tale to frighten children, but there had also been tales of whole boats and crews disappearing on the lake. Uh, but until this point, he had never seen it. And so he hadn't given it much credence, but now he's seen it, and he's sorry, it may end them all. And Tubgut, of course, uses this as an excuse to start a mutiny, uh, which, you know what? Fair. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be here. Fair. I don't want to do this. <laughs> uh, his plan is to flee for sure, and it wins him the backing of the very scared shrews, because, like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't blame them. Um, me either. <laughs> Logalog, though, doesn't back down an inch. He says he'll fight fair and square, but Tubgut tries to deny it. He blusters, trying to boss the shrews to head for shore, basically maintaining you don't have the Blackstone, you are not in charge of us, and everybody just voted me to be a leader, so we're going back to shore. Mara threatens to brain Tubgut with an oar, and while he's demanding that the other through sh- the, the other shrews throw Mara overboard, Logalog pounces on him with his rapier, putting it under his chin. Like he's like, "No, you're not going to deny me my trial by combat because we do things via vote, but we also do things by who can beat up, you know, who better." <laughs> yeah. Uh Logalog says that Tubgut will face a full tribunal when they get home for mutiny and attempted murder of honored guests. Because Logalog was totally fine with it being a mutiny, but the minute Tubgut threatened Mara, he was like, absolutely yeah. the fuck not. That's when he went, nope, and launched himself. Yeah, because like it would be easier and safer for all of them to let Tubgut do the mutiny because it would keep the other shrews quiet, right? Right. But then, of course, this happens, and all the other shrews are swayed back to Logalog's side. Uh, He gets control over the crew again with a swift defeat and dressing down of Tubgut. Said shrew is then tied up and put in the back of the boat. And I like this because Logalog is sticking to their laws here. By all rights, he could have run him through. He could have kicked him into the lake. He could have he could have done like anything to enforce his rule with brute strength. But instead he goes, no, you are going to face our laws. We are going to do this properly. He's following the laws here. And I like that because he's showing that he's the leader, but the rules still apply to him too. And I like that. It's It's showing what a good leader does. Good leaders don't bully. You know, good leaders follow the rules unless it's like an emergency and they have to make those snap decisions. But yeah. even then, they try and do things as much to the rules as they can. Yeah. Logalog good. Most of the logologs, like, not most, all of the logologs that we have had so far in each of the books have been very good leaders. Mm-hmm. I will say the one What in... happens when you do things democratically and actually, like... I do think the one in well. Madame Mayo was a little... Not Madame Mayo. 
Yeah, Madame Mayo? Hang on. Redwall. Like, the actual log-a-log in Redwall was a little forgettable compared to some of the others we've had so far. But I think that's just because he was, you know, kind of the first to be introduced. No. the Well, okay. I guess technically, yes, if you go by publication order, he was the first yeah. to be introduced. Yeah. But we do also get a log-a-log in Mossflower. We do. We just don't have the other shrews around him. Right. Which I think, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's kind of... I think that these guys, the South Stream, the Guo Song, I'm yeah. pretty sure they're his descendants. Probably. Uh, I think all of the shrews are related in some way. It's just they keep spreading out further and further. Mm-hmm. Which is how we get, like, this, like... Because we see later on that there's, like, different contingencies. Like, they have different outposts and communities. Mm-hmm. With each, so, each one like, with it, a slightly different culture, which I like. They're not all yeah, carbon copy. It's good. Uh, so Logalog asks if anyone else wants to challenge him, but one by one the shrews admit he's one of the best leaders they've had. Fair and honest. Also, I need to say this before we keep going. Mm-hmm. You'll notice, dear listeners, that we don't actually have a whole lot of notes. <laughs> yeah. And that is because this part of the book is really good. Well, also, I knew that that what notes we did have, we would probably ramble about for a while. Or Yeah, but there's still, like, we there's not a lot to pick at. No. Most of the... The writing here is really good. Most of the notes I have are either, like, they're why I like a certain point or pointing out, like, hey, this plot point works because of this. You know, it's this is a good part of the book, and most of the notes I have are in praise of or explanation of i do have like a few critiques but otherwise no like brian is really getting into the swing of it and i can definitely see why this is the favorite of a lot of um people of me of yours and others (laughs) despite the fact that i don't remember a whole subplot (laughs) i do not remember the falcon at all but i read this when i was like fifth grade so So the rest of the day is peaceful, and after a nice little supper, the crew settles down as best as they can. Logalog thanks Mara. He knows Tubgut doesn't have much respect, but his crew was scared, and fear can make sensible creatures do stupid things. And again, Logalog showing that he's a good leader here. He's not blaming his men because they were in a terrifying situation. And... You know, he's not holding it against them. They wanted to survive. Every creature wants to survive. Well, except for badgers who just want to go to Valhalla. But, um, you know, like Earthstripe and Logalog, I'm really enjoying. Like, Brian is writing really good leaders in this book. And, like, even Farago, who is not a good creature, is a, air quotes, good leader. He keeps control over, like... 98% of his army, which is impressive. Like, he's gotten less mutiny, like, mutinous talking than Clooney was getting. You know? Because, like, Clooney would get sassed. But Farago? Not so much. It makes up for the abbess being a little wishy-washy. Well, in her defense, she has never had to do... She's never lived through a hard time. So, like, right. why would she need to be stern like that? She has no reason to. Right. So, 
Uh, Mara had risked her life for Logalog, and he won't forget it. And she brushes off the thanks, uh, embarrassed, and settles down to sleep. The night passes peacefully. Um, of course, the reader's sitting here like, but what if the deep coiler? I don't worry, that's addressed in another <laughs> chapter. Back. I've had nightmares, uh, like I mentioned it later, I've had nightmares like that. <laughs> yeah, holy shit. Back with the trio of Sam Kim, Arula, and Spriggit, he tells the two they're a short length away from the vermin. Give them time to fall asleep, then they can do a night attack. He's not too worried about the rats, but the fox seems to be a trained fighter. So he instructs the two on the plan, split into three. He'll make a cricket chirping noise, and there to lay about with staves while Samkin uses his bow as a stave. Get the fox, get the sword, and keep attacking, because the fox would happily slay them, first given the chance. The two agree very like, eagerly. Uh, I didn't. I didn't make a sorry. I didn't make a note on this too much, but like the fact that Spriggett notices these rats are not our main issue here. It's the fox who's the fighter. Like the fact that he can just tell that makes what is, a lot of the events. What is later Spriggett's just history? Like, is what I want to know. Like, sir. Sir. Un <laughs> just some old hermit who picked up woodcraft and just, he observes. I bet you that's what it is. He just watched stuff for his whole life and yeah. learned that way. Spriggit backstory. When, where's Give that fanfiction? Give Spriggit backstory! Uh, please, <laughs> yet again, we beseech you, if you have written Redwall fanfiction, give it. Oh, please do. Eventually, one of these days, I'll actually sit down and read it. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> Uh, they get to the camp and split up as planned, but a cricket in the camp calls. And, and I like this because, like, the minute the minute Spriggett did his chicken chirp, chir <laughs> his cricket chirp, I knew I was like, a real cricket is going to chirp before Spriggett ever has a chance. And when it happened, I'm just like, yeah, good job with the setup, Brian. Nice payoff. It's very funny. Sam Kim jumps in. Way too early. Arula is confused, but upon hearing Sam Kim's ruckus, joins in, and Spriggett runs face first into a rat who jumped up at the sound of the attack. Chaos reigns, and Deathbrush watches in confusion for a moment as his rats are attacked. He thinks it's a much bigger force attacking, and so he chooses to run rather than stay and fight. He gathers up three rats, scatters the fire, and flees southwest. They literally scatter the embers from the fire and almost, like, start mm -hmm. a forest fire. Uh, the f yeah, the fight yeah. stops as the three uh, woodlanders try to put out the fire started by the scattered campfire. They know that it would be death to all of them and many more if the dry summer woods went up in flames. Mm -hmm. uh, and Sam Kim, of course, had caught a rat with a broken paw. And it's pressed into beating down fires, too. Because, and here's the sanism, they convince the rat that Arula's insane. It's, it's bad. Very it's bad. bad. Um, when Arula, while Arula marches the rat about tied to the bow by the bowstring, Sam Kim and Spriggett sit down to rest. Sam Kim asks, why did Spriggett chirp too early? And it's then that they both see the cricket, who crawls out of its hiding place, chirps twice indignantly, and hops away. <laughs> it's... This cricket is just like, why'd y'all 
Why'd y'all make a ruckus? It was a nice night. There was a fire. I was getting food scraps, probably. The fuck? (laughs) But no, we did this instead. Sam Kim (laughs) is humiliated, but Spriggett feels complimented on his cricket call more than anything else. He laughs, and soon all three are laughing at the botched ambush. Once calmed down, they wonder how they're to find the fox, and Arula reels in the rat. The rat, of course, refuses to tell them where they were headed, but Samkin and Spriggett start a crafty scheme, playing up that Arula was mad and would be very happy to torture the rat in ways it could hardly imagine, and I hate this. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it feels gross. Like, the fact that she's immediately so happy to play along with this. Like, it's, there are people who would tell me that I'm too sensitive for this, but it hasn't aged well. This is not a trope that has aged well into the modern times, but unfortunately, Mm -hmm. even in modern media and fiction, this is one of the most common types of ableism that we see, is people acting quote-unquote insane because mm-hmm. making fun of people with it... mental illness is cool mm-hmm. like i i don't actually watch it but my sister watched supernatural for quite uh... a few years and there's like a whole episode where the brothers have to like get into an oh insane i remember asylum, that one really... so they can talk to what's uh-huh. his face uh-huh. Uh-huh. and Every time she's like, yeah, I thought that part was so funny. And I'm just like, yeah, hilarious. You'll also, uh, this is a thing that's really, really common in books for kids as well, is like uh, Mm. the insanity trope being played as a joke or people calling Mm. each other like insane or crazy and things like that. It's... Mm-hmm. Don't call people things like that. Don't use those words as descriptive adjectives. If you mean that something is ridiculous, say ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, those words are not good. All right. To bring, like, you mentioned children's books. Um, the Guardians of Gahul has a character called Digger. He is a burrowing owl. Now, in the books, they say, like, well, Digger is different. He's a slow thinker. He looks at things in a way that we don't because he lived a different lifestyle. So in the books, he's the thoughtful one. He's the one who's a little, not exactly mystic or mysticism, but he he thinks along lines that the other owls don't. You know what they did with him in the movie? Mm. Which is like one of the biggest things about the movie that I just like. They made him quirky. They made him hyperactive. They took took Diogenes and made him worse. Yeah, pretty much. They they gave Diogenes catnip. I mean, that was Diogenes anyway, but. (laughs) Yes, but. (laughs) They gave him cocaine and opium. (laughs) But yeah, so like, even then, like, if it's a hero character, they can be different. And they just call it different. It's only bad when it's insane. So anyway, you should always call out ableism when you see it, even if it's just a slight shifting of language and terms that you use. Mm -hmm. This is how the Mm -hmm. R slur fell out of fashion. Mm -hmm. So. Arula plays along, asking for things to start her torture. And the rat, of course, breaks because he doesn't want weird things to happen to him with mud and dead bugs um things placed where they shouldn't be is the implication yep. 
he tells them Deathbrush's yeah. name and that he and the five other tracker rats had been sent from Farago's horde to find Dinjai and Thura. And now that they're dead, they were heading back with the sword as a gift for Farago. And, like, it's very specific. The rat's like, I'm not a fire. None of, none of us are fighters. We're just tracker rats. It's Deathbrush who's the fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's... Like, the fact that even Spriggett can pick up on the fact that these guys don't know how to fight. Like, this rat not once offers any kind of physical resistance. He doesn't know how it's implied. He's His specialty is tracking things, not fighting things. That's why they brought the stupid fox along, yeah. you know. Exactly. Because, like, the tracker rats wouldn't have been able to do anything with Dinjai and Thura, but the fox... Mm-mm. Um... Mm-hmm. Arula plays at being upset that uh, he told him, and he swears that he'll even lead them there. Uh, Sam Kim relents and asks Arula to tie him to a tree for the night. And Sam Kim and Spriggett settle down to sleep, and Arula, now enjoying playing at uh, playing at being a mad beast, sits close to the rat and teases him. Spriggett sets her as... Oh, it's so, it's so gross. gross. She's like... Because like, it implies that she, like cuddles up to him as she's whispering yeah these it's things. not i don't like it it's uncomfortable especially because arula's like very young yeah uh, these these are not dibbins but they're definitely teenagers or young adults and this rat's an adult adult um mm -hmm. it's not good uh Spriggett sets her as first watch sam kim as second and him as the third watch joking that he hopes staying up doesn't make her too mad. She hopes so as well, and the rat slumps with a terrified sob. Feels bad. This is Feels torture! Bad. Uh, Sam Kim, of course, I had to add this, uh, because you forgot to put it in here, that Sam Kim dreams of Martin the Warrior pleading with him for his sword and to not let others use it for evil, and I added that in very specifically to say that I hated it. See, I don't think it's actually Martin. I think this is just Sam Kim's brain dreaming of this. Like, I don't think this is Martin because it's like a completely different change of tone from how Martin has it been so is, far. It is, but you would We're think like, that like if Sam Kim was going to see Martin in his dreams that Martin would have some control over that. I mean, yes and no. He can't exactly go in and t make people not dream about him. If he could, that'd be terrifying. I don't know. I just, I feel like this is more his brain. Just, it's a stress. Maybe. Dream. I don't know. I didn't like it. Yeah, no, it's not good. It's... But I feel like this isn't Martin. I feel like this is Sam Kim's brain having a stress moment. <sighs> I keep yawning. <laughs> I know, Legal. right? I've had so much caffeine today. In <sighs> Salamandastron, because now we're at Salamandastron, Ferran is trapped. By the return of Earthstripe and his hairs. They did a number on the vermin, though it was a barely a dent in the horde, and are in a good mood. A young hare named Shorebuck, of course, spots the food laid out and asks if he can dig in. Earthstripe gives him permission, and Ferran listens eagerly. And, like, I feel bad because I called this exactly. I said, what's going to happen is we're going to get a new hare who is introduced only to die. That's usually what happens. And so we, yeah. there's a formula. <laughs> it's being built, constructed. Uh-huh. While the uh -huh. young hare tucks in, 
Earthstripe asks Oxai if they'd suffered any casualties, and he says no, although Windpaw is currently MIA that she hadn't shown up to roll call. Uh, he figures that she's off napping somewhere, because uh, she was not in the fight. Shorebuck mm-hmm. drops to the floor, and at first the others think he's choking on a bit of scone. Fran shows emotion for the first time, anger at having made the mixture too strong. His poison was working too fast. Like, he hits the wall. Uh, yeah. I'll... Anyway, sorry. Uh, I'll yeah. say it A healer hair, Seawood, gets there too late. He can tell it's poison, and the others figure it must have been in the food. And Earthstripe bellows for no one to go near the table. And I also pointed out, like, part of the problem could be, too, that this is a younger hair with a faster metabolism and a, pres- presumably a smaller body. Like, if Oxi had dug in, it might have taken a little while for the poison to have had effect. Yeah, or Earthstripe. But again, yeah. But younger... Yeah. Mm... Yeah, the, the way that it's described with uh, Shorebuck dying is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Very. Because, like, he's choking, he's gasping. It's, he doubles it's... up on himself, curls up, and just goes yeah. absolutely rigid. It's mm-hmm. awful. Outside, Farago is in a fine, cheerful mood. He doesn't mind the 30 or 40 beasts lost. That's what they were for, after all. Kill or be killed. Of course, he spots Klitsch's scowl and mocks him. Had he lost friends? Was he upset at Pawn's dying? He throws his dagger, with it landing close to his son's paw like point in the sand. Klitsch doesn't flinch, mm-hmm. saying it was a waste of fighters. He doesn't give a damn about the horde, but all this could have been done more efficiently. And, like, this is the part of the book where I got sad again, because, like, there's so many times in this book where it's like, hey, Brian, you could actually, like, have Klitsch be a good leader. Like, he doesn't have to be a good guy, but he could still choose to not be what his father is. Like, maybe he could end up being like, hey, you know what? Forget this. Let's go home. Let's go back to the territory we control and actually, like, settle down and actually use the land that we took over, you know? Um, instead of like always needing to conquer more, but, you know, realizing that his people have value, his soldiers are not just pawns. They're not just numbers. They're people. This is what, but Verdaga of the yeah. thousand eyes understood mm-hmm. uh, when he was trying to get it into Sarmina's skull before she, you know, killed him. Mm hmm. And his son had understood it, which is why his son got to live to the end of the book. And then his son was like, (laughs) I'm going to go live on a farm with this pretty other cat and just live out the rest of my days. Yeah. But this is a Redwall book, so Klitsch is not going to get that chance. Doghead, the stoat, one of the captains, almost agrees with Klitsch, but he keeps quiet when he sees Farago smile in his glittering blue eyes. Farago says that a few dead doesn't matter. Their lives will be better once those in the mountain are dead and they have the place to themselves. Bad Tooth, another stoat, agrees with Farago. If Ferran succeeds, it was a good plan. Klitsch stomps off in a foul mood. Now, and this is where we get some great fucking bullshit. <laughs> uh, Farago says <laughs> being young is such a pity. But Klitsch will never outwit him. He doesn't mind his son plotting, 
but he'll kill anyone who plots with him. Like, the soft spot that Farago very obviously has for his son is really interesting. It is, because, like, I feel like part of the problem is, is he doesn't know how to express... He doesn't know how to express a positive or a soft emotion. Affection? The the vermin don't know that. They only understand cruelty. Right. So, like, this is his way of, like, he's raising his son to be stronger than him. He calls him his backstabber. He keeps teasing him. But this is also his way of teaching him. And it's twisted, and it's sad, and it's wrong. But he's doing what he can with what he knows. Yeah. Uh, Regardless... When Ferran arrives and says everyone is poisoned, then they can have another real go on the mountain. Crabeyes the Rat asks that, isn't it odd that Ferran hasn't shown up? What happens now? Well, it just means that Ferran is still inside, doing his job. But Farago has been worried about the fox, thinking he might be greedy, wanting the badger treasure for himself. Crabeyes questions about the treasure, and Frago pulls the now almost mandatory bait-and-switch of a lie that he'd pick the four captains to be his right-paw men, and he'd split the no-doubt vast horde between them all. Of course it works, greed blinding them to Farago's manipulation. He convinces them that they need to slay Ferran. Uh, do so, and they'll have more treasure than they could have dreamed of. They swear to do so and return to their captain duties while Farago laughs at their foolishness. Like, he basically convinces them that Ferran wants all the treasure for himself and they can't let that happen. Because mm-hmm. Ferran's not actually part of the Horde, don't you know? It's just, you know what confuses me too is that the implication is, is that Farago controls like a big chunk of the South. Doesn't, why, doesn't he already have a lot of treasure? He want more, he greedy. But what do they use it for? I ah. don't know. Ah, they give the pretty shiny trinkets to the ladies. I don't know. I, I guess, maybe, yeah. Anyway. It's like penguins stealing pebbles from each other's nests. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't mind it because, like, this is Brian setting up the plot. He's, he's, you can see some of his formula really coming out in this book, but you can also but, see like, why it works. Yeah. yeah. You can see, like, when the formula works, it works really well. And then we'll find a book eventually where it doesn't. Right. Because we don't want to count the first four books because they weren't the formula yet. Not yet, no. Uh, Mariel started to get it. Mm-hmm. And this one definitely has it. But mm-hmm. Redwall, Mossflower, and Matameo yeah. didn't have the formula. And They're again, definitely like... unique amongst all... Oops, sorry. They're definitely unique amongst all Redwall books. And it's a case of, like, I don't blame Brian for making a formula, considering the age group that he's aiming for here and the rate at which he put these books out. I mean, okay, have you ever read a Dean Koontz book? Yes, the one where Frankenstein was just, like, chilling and his creator was a serial killer? I think that's the Odd Thomas series. Yes. Um, Yeah, the vast majority of Dean Koontz's books all follow a formula. Yeah. Uh, There is a bad guy. There is probably a lady. There is a... (laughs) better dude there is a dog (laughs) and if the dog isn't owned by the good guys the dog is absolutely fucking vicious and will get murdered at some point no i don't like that but the good dogs never get murdered good okay i mean i don't like a dog getting murdered anyway but yeah no dean Koontz has sold fucking up so many books 
I used to love his books. There's only one that I keep around now because it's just fucking weird <laughs> about aliens. I mean, I I read the first Odd Thomas because I had a friend. I've never in... actually read the Odd Thomas series. Well, I I know I read the first one because I had a friend in high school who she was actually the one who introduced me to Jim Butcher and the Dresden series, even though I didn't start reading Dresden until like two or three years after high school. Mm -hmm. Um, But she introduced it to me because she's like, look, here's a better wizard named Harry. Read this one instead. Um. (laughs) And now you're just like, well, no, I still. okay. I'm still fond of the Dresden Files. I still think that they are enjoyable and well-written books. I just think that at this point in the story, I'm ready to hop out for a while until I get confirmation on certain the fate of certain characters. And then depending on how that goes, I might read more. <laughs> but I got I got a lot of enjoyment out of the series. But reading Odd Thomas, like I enjoyed it, but it was never like Dean Koontz has never been an author that I've actively sought out because he's He's like, he's along the lines to me of like Stephen King and other authors yes. where they're just, they're a little too on the dark side of things. They have that, uh, that view of humanity that's a little more pessimistic than I prefer, yes. uh, which the, is not a one, bad thing. I mean, if you like those. The one book that I have is the only one I kept because it strayed away from his like formulaic writing. Mm-hmm. Um... Like, it still kind of hit some of it, but it was it was still different enough that I was like, okay, I like this one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually two of them that are like that. There's uh, Both of them have to do with weird alien supernatural bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and there's still horror novels. Holy shit, the horror mm-hmm. is real. Mm-hmm. But the, they end in such, like, a positive way that, like, I like those two specifically, and those are the only ones <laughs> I like anymore because i used to seek out his books and read them and now i'm just like "Eh, no and like i'm never going to give anyone crap for liking a popular author like like why is reading a popular author a bad thing like they get popular for a reason you know because again i don't know some of them shouldn't have true yes that's a good point (laughs) like also It's, it's it's a matter of uh it's that thing, you know, when something is really popular and you kind of have this initial reaction of like, well, I don't want to touch it now. Yeah. Because everybody I mean, else likes it and I just, I don't want to deal with it. Uh, or or like, you get tired of people telling you, you should read this. You'll like it. It's got dragons in it. I'm Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just the kind of like, people sometimes will have just that kind of instinctual urge to be contrarian. <laughs> I don't know what that's like at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway.
Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast and want to help keep it going, please consider donating to our coffee, linked in the description below. Follow our Twitter and Tumblr at Abbey Archives and join our Discord. This podcast is part of Hearthside Enclave, and some other shows you might like are Hope's Hearth, a solar hope punk actual play podcast, and Post Apocalyptic News Radio, a Fallout inspired audio drama.